yeah october so i'm looking at the plaque now we've got a plaque on our wall so yeah we did we did um we launched the app early as a soft launch um we, we partnered with google really early on and google built our user acquisition strategy for us uh through uh which is really good so it's a machine algorithm that they built that tracks what users do through the app and then targets more of those users uh real lucky to get them on board and, and they approached us actually while i was in pretamonji uh, i had a i had a missed call and um and then i had a a voicemail and it was like hi so and so from google uh could you give me a call and i thought oh my god i owe google money now hello and welcome to the digital spaceship podcast a marketing journal hosted by Blue Drop Studio co-founder Anna Rowinska and myself, Omar Juman. This podcast has one vision, and that is to educate, inform, and inspire others who are trying to build their tech brand. Tune in and listen to us chat ideation, marketing, scaling, and everything in between with up-and-coming entrepreneurs, stakeholders, and investors in tech startups across the world. We'll be diving into the details and also hearing about the journey. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. In this episode, we're speaking with Peter, co-founder at Employable. Employable is an app for job seekers, the first of its kind to help users identify, map and track their way into a new career. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Spaceship podcast, a marketing journal. Today, we're speaking with Peter from Employable. Lovely to have you on the show, Peter. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Um, give us a little introduction uh, to your background and what it is you guys are doing over at Employable. Excellent. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor. Um, so my name is Peter Kelly, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of an app startup called Employable. So Employable was uh, created in 2017 and uh, essentially launched in November last year. And we are a platform that helps people to identify map and track their way into a new career cool awesome um so you are co-founder there um at employable so how did uh you know how did you come up with the idea for employable so um myself and the co-founder are both raw marines together mm-hmm. um we were young marines back in 2008 we served together um and then i came out of the raw marines in 2015 uh, where unemployed so came out got a job lost a job because it wasn't the right job um and then was unemployed for the next nine months uh, over that nine months i must have sent you know thousands of cvs off to thousands of job opportunities and um i i got in you know got to interview but mostly because i was an ex-raw marine and they they thought it'd be nice to have me there yeah. <laughs> for a coffee and a chat but never really went anywhere and that was because I didn't know how to transition my skills from the military into sort of the civilian world. And then um, I did, after about nine or 10 months, I got picked up from, um, I mean, I did project management when I left. So I did all my project management qualifications. And then I, I was very lucky that uh, an ex army captain was running an app development company, uh, found my CV, gave me a call and asked me if I wanted a job. Um, you know, from there, I didn't really know tech. I'd I'd spent sort of six weeks building, learning how to build websites whilst I was unemployed. Mm. I was building building websites for uh, military leavers to help help them get on the road to their own sort of businesses. So I was looking into construction project management. 
-hmm. And then when when Ollie rang me up and said, look, you know, this is tech. And I was a bit like, mm, I don't really have a tech background. Don't really know what I'm doing. Um, he took me on anyway. And then I, I spent two years there and ended up running projects for Louis Vuitton and RAC, a wow. couple, couple other big ones. And then uh, I got a call from Kieran, the co-founder, um, in 2017. And he, he was just, it was just a chat. And uh, he was telling me how frustrated he was with um, with his business. And his business was helping uh people back into work so long-term unemployed back into work and you know he's hitting his head against a, a brick wall and, and i said to him well there there'll be an app solution for this so we met in the m5 services and we looked at all the the problems that i had when i was unemployed and all the problems that he had in getting people employed and mm -hmm. sort of put one one and one together and made two and then mapped it out you know if this was if this was you know technically possible um, you know, what would it look like? And we threw out everything that was perceived to be impossible and, and just drew the gold standard and worked our way back, really. And that's how it all began. Uh, that's a super interesting background. I mean, what were some of the, the challenges that you were, you were facing or what were some of the problems that you guys essentially brainstormed um, to solve? So the first thing we realized is that the, the recruitment sector is not really set up for individuals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's set up for businesses, but when you start looking at some of the stats, you realize that most of the issues are actually with the individuals. So if you look at 49% of um, students are in non-graduate roles, so 49% of all students are not doing what they went to university to do. And then we, we did about a year's worth of research where we sent out hundreds and thousands of um, of surveys to different mm -hmm. people from businesses to, you know, individuals. and. One of the questions on there which intrigued me the most was, uh, we, we put a question, we kind of knew the answer, but we didn't know if the answer was, you know, real. Um, and the question was, did the qualifications that you undertook at, at school, college, or university, uh, are they relevant to the job you have now or where you want to be? Mm. And like 80% of people come back and said, what they did at, in education was completely irrelevant to where they actually wanted to be or what they were actually doing. Wow. And then we started thinking, well, some of the biggest decisions you make are when you're young, right? When you start that ball rolling, when you do your GCSEs and then your college and then your university. And by the time you leave university, you've got the average debt of 50,800 pounds and years of your life. And, uh, you know, they break into the industry and go, well, this isn't actually what I want to do. And it's all about um, knowledge, really. It's yeah. people, people don't have the right knowledge to know, you know, where they really fit in the world. And that's the premise of, of why Employable was born, was how do we give everybody, no matter their age, background, ethnicity, you know, disability, ability, how do we give them all equal access to opportunity, but knowledge as well? So how do we help people to make informed decisions about their future? So it started off and it still does at some you know now is is servicing a problem so when you help people transition from one career to another all you're doing is servicing a problem and then in the background we're working on the root of the problem which is you know school children essentially is how do we help them give them the career guidance and help them know where they fit in the world and what they were put on the world to do and and that's sort of the the sort of main goal if you like cool and you had mentioned that there's um you know, quite a few people on the, the board at the moment and, and some of which um, being investors. So moving on to funding, um, how did you initially 
approach funding um, from the ideation stage? You know, you and your co-founder have an idea. Um, when was it you thought, okay, let's let's actually go out and get funding? And and how did you go about doing that? It was tricky because both him and I had absolutely no idea, really. Yeah. I mean, I'd worked, I'd worked with a lot of startups who were going for funding, but I never really got involved too much of that side of it from from the last company that I worked with. There were times when I had to go and pitch to investors the tech side of, of a startup, mm -hmm. and that sort of gave me an idea. Um, the thing is, what we realized really early on is that this the tech was so complicated that we couldn't really build a meaningful MVP that could be tested. Mm. So whereas a startup can go and get, you know, 30,000 pounds, build out an MVP that's scalable, you know, the backbone, get it tested and then go and get seed funding. We couldn't really do that because to get any sort of meaningful data back, uh, we had to build something really quite comprehensive. Mm. And if you look at what employable does, I mean, as a user you build your digital profile and then the app tells you as a percentage how you fit compared to different jobs so we tell you how your qualifications and experience fit and soon your personality as well really complicated and you know you have to get it right so we took a bit of a different tack actually where we went to friends and family or i went to friends and family and said look this is the idea i've got this is what it's going to do these are the problems i need you to give me some money and we managed to drum up uh, 20 grand from mm -hmm. friends close friends cool um which is, is it's incredible. scary well you're risking far more than just money when you mm. go to there because we wasn't seis registered we wasn't eis registered it was literally like we're going to found this business and we gave them a good deal um but you know you're risking relationships there and close relationships and you've got to really 100 you know be confident that you can pull it off um so we went and got 20 grand and with that 20 grand we incorporated we then um uh, registered trademarked everything we had a different name then um we didn't come up with employable until about a year later but they what we did with the 20 grand was built all the graphic design so we built the every screen in the app and then we get, had it graphic designed uh, and then we prototyped it so using links it was as if someone was using the app yeah um rather than building code once we'd done that and we put together a really powerful presentation about you know the future of recruitment and how people are, are not happy and how we're the most unproductive country in in europe and you know and it all mental health 14.7 percent of all employees in the uk suffer from some form of workplace mental health you start drilling into that and you go right people are not what you know they're not in the right place and yeah. um we did that then with the graphic design to show you know what we could achieve and we then started just reaching out to investors and it was very lucky i was invited to um the Plymouth Area Business Council, which is all the um, business leaders in Plymouth and the surrounding areas, um, and there's quite a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And there was about 150 business leaders in the room. Wow! And uh, I stood up and just gave this really powerful speech about how you know we're doing ordinary and extraordinary people complete disservice through um, a sector that needs a massive overhaul, which is just based around money. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know. I, I got a stand innovation, which was mental because um, awesome. I didn't know anyone there. And the guy sat next to me, gave me his card and said, oh, just make sure I'm the first person you email. <laughs> and I did. And I had a meeting with him and he, the, you know, him and um, 
two others of, of, of in his syndicate gave us three hundred thousand pounds. So, wow, three hundred, wow. yeah, three hundred grand on zero code. So it can yeah. be done. Um, <laughs> awesome. And then obviously from then, you know, there's so many different routes that an entrepreneur can take to start, you know, generating uh, investment income. Um, we then did uh, a crowdfund. Mm-hmm. So we got 300, uh, just over 300 uh, investors through, through crowdfunds. So we're going for 150 and we overfunded uh, to 225,000, um, which was really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then we were just about to start our sort of, final funding round if you like before we hit profit uh in february uh we had people lined up we were having meetings i was spending a lot of time in london um and then covid hit the lockdown happened and all of our investors went i've got to take a step back now because um we can't look at this till later on in the year and you're looking at it going "Mm, i'm about to run out of money this is a problem but the good thing about a crowdfund is um you know, these are people who put their hard-earned cash who are not you know necessarily savvy investors a lot of them were friends uh, i think we're the the most invested royal marines company in history now i think we've got about 180 royal marines who have invested awesome. in us that's incredible it's mental and then uh, what we did was when covid hit we went back to those and said look we're going to give you a great deal if you can do you want to reinvest you know they all know what's going on uh you know cash flow is king with small businesses and startups um you know we're in depth talks with with three global companies at the minute and these things take time and they won't come to fruition so we needed the capital to just get us to that point and and they came through for us and our, our investors wow. came back and and got us through it so we'll we'll last through um through covid now just fine and then we'll realize you know when when monetizing now um and we've got some big proposals in already. So, you know, touch wood. Yeah. I think we'll absolutely. be just fine. So it yeah. just goes to show like when it comes to investment, the different routes that you can take and, and you know, lean on your investors as well. Cause they're amazing knowledge between them as well, which is incredible. Totally. Totally. I mean, it's incredible that you guys actually put together sort of that MVP based on the prototype and then just managed to actually go out and get, you know, really show the core of the product. Um, and I guess, I guess it did really well. Um, it's a it's a bummer that you know that all the timing wise of of COVID and we've spoken to a you know we've had quite a few guests on the show some of them have um, just secured funding just before COVID and some just fell over or were hanging over slightly and it, it has put like a spanner in the works for quite a lot of businesses so it's it's really nice to hear that you guys actually you know, the investors that you had through the crowdfunding managed to pull you guys through. And I, I guess that speaks to the the importance of, you know, at least running a crowdfund um, or having investors that are very much aligned and believe with your vision um, that would actually come back and reinvest as well. That's, that's so powerful. Um, so I guess following, following the investment and kind of leading up to COVID now, you said you've got some, some big proposals on the books and potentially you're in talks, uh, you know, things that will help you, I guess, achieve success and take the business to the next level. Um, oh, what is it? When did the, the brand come into play for this? Because of course you've got, um, you've got up to this certain point and you have, I guess, a certain amount of investment. Um, but to achieve that investment, you know, I know you had mentioned you guys sat down and did a lot of graphics design and stuff like that. But when did branding come up as a conversation? How early on 
you know did you did you have that yeah so we started um so we're actually for who limited and, and the app started as for who mm-hmm. and um terrible name terrible name no one understood <laughs> what it was and we and we kind of knew the name wasn't right but we knew that the tech was more important you know people can look past the name until the point where um until it does become a problem and we'd gone to meet a potential investor in london and uh she was head of global recruitment for i think the fifth largest company in the world and um yeah and she's she wanted to invest and it was all great and then she goes uh, i hate the name i hate the name i don't i don't get it i don't understand it you know and then we sat there over drinks and, and we was actually honest with her. We said, you know what? We don't like the name either. Mm. <laughs> like it was a, a work in progress. And then on the, on the way back, so we, we live in Plymouth and based in Plymouth. And um, we were driving back from London the next day and we were like, yeah, you know what? The name has to be right. Um, mm. Because without it, you know, no one really understands what you do unless you tell them, unless you have a name that tells them what you do um, and shows something. So on the way back, we were just we spent three hours just saying loads of different rubbish, basically. Mm. And then and I remember I was driving along and we was listening to um, listening to my iPod. And there's a song that we have. It's really Chad. But there's a song that Kieran and I have that whenever we do anything successful, we just blast it. Mm-hmm. And we're purposely not playing this song until we found <laughs> the name. And then I was like, it has to be something around a person. Mm-hmm. It has to be something around making them able to get into work, you know, and employment. And I was just sort of sat there and went, just Google employable with an I. <laughs> and he went, it doesn't exist. And then we found some things and, um, and then we played that song because we we're like, right, we've nailed it. But the, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of employable and, and the color, which is really important, is when you start really looking at it, I mean, you can see it above my head. Mm-hmm. The green is I'm able okay. and employ. And a ploy is a cunning undertaken to achieve a task. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm ploy able. So I, I'm able to, you know, break into a career that I really love. And, and the, the, the icon itself is an I and an M, but it's a little man with a tie. You know, yeah. it's just, it just kind of speaks levels because people can look at us now and go, yeah, I get that. And, mm. and it's, branding is very subjective, right? I mean, you talk to different people, it means different things. And, and people get the employable brand. Uh, I've been told that it's too masculine and too bold and too in your face. Um, I don't find that an issue at all, actually, when I think about it. It's good. People remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole point of, around the brand and then it became a whole new thing for us, you know, something that we could get behind, something that we could write messages on, something that we could explain, something that we could show, you know, and it's funny, I did a podcast about a year and a half ago and um, they were saying about how a startup got their initial capital and spent £20,000 on branding. <laughs> and, um, and I thought that was crazy because all of our branding cost £425 or something on wow. 99, 99 designs. Yeah. And yes, the, you know that's where brand evolution comes into play because we've got the basics and now as we move forward our brand will evolve and as we do new things our brand will you know grow arms and legs and that's where we'll start committing the funds yeah and so i don't think you need to go out and spend stupid amounts of money on that initial basic idea because the chances are it's going to change or it's going to adapt so do something that you know that you can test Mm -hmm. and you know for 400 pound you can go out and test it and then 
then evolve it. Then, then you know, once it's test, then put the money and evolve it. Because the further down the road you are, uh, the more expensive that becomes. If we, you know, with thousands of users, you know, 250 clients now, um, it would be very hard to go through a complete rebrand now because of just how difficult it'd be. So, you know, if there's one bit of advice I've got, test everything and do it, test it as cheaply as possible. Yeah, of then, course. Then invest. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. And um, so what I would like to touch on here is, um, so there's one side of, of branding, which is where you start thinking about how you look and the logo and the colors and stuff like that. But for example, for you guys, so you've built the whole prototype um, and I imagine you worked with a graphic designer, right? So how did you find the right person for the job? Because obviously it's a big task to build the whole app just with the sort of design platform. Uh, what was it like? So uh, I, this is where um, my expertise lied, if you like, from my last job. I used to project manage um, app builds, you know, across the world. I used to manage project managers uh, in Ukraine, Poland, uh, Spain. And when it came to building the app, it was a no-brainer for me. I just went to the developers of the company I used to work for, worked out a great deal. Um, but I think that this is where the gig economy comes in amazing i mean you can find a great designer um within the gig economy and you don't need to hire in-house um so if you look at a platform like five squid for instance um absolutely incredible go on there type in what you want and you find whoever it is you you want but like upwork and fiverr and others like that and um once we found the designer that we liked and we just got them to do some concepts for us uh you know then i took it to my old developers and said right can you quote me on this they gave me an idea of what it would cost and and it, it went from there and what i find myself doing now is hooking up lots and lots of founders with developers and mm -hmm. i think it's you know a no founder can be an expert in everything and i think what you've got to do is choose something to be an expert in and then you know rely on other people to be the expert and i think that's where where sort of I came in, you know, a high level of business acumen, if you like, but, um, you know, technical knowledge, which meant that when I was going out to developers and, and they coming back to me, I understood what they were telling me. Mm -hmm. So I understood how much it costs and the, and the labor. And what you'll find now is you get lots of entrepreneurs who are fantastic at what they do. And they've come up with a great idea from, from either their part of work where they've been working in whatever market and, but they don't have the technical background. So they base everything on cost. And when you base everything on cost, you, you know, you could be in some real trouble um, where someone will go, right, well, obviously I need it cheaper. So I'm going to go here and get it really cheap. But, you know, you always get what you pay for. And mm -hmm. when you've got a tech driven business, you have to invest the right money in tech. And what you I worked with lots of startups who did that wrong and went cheap or tried to keep it in house and, you know, it, it doesn't work um, mm -hmm. and what they what you end up doing a year and a half later is completely rebuilding the app at double the cost and you've just yeah. sunk half a million pound in so it's it's really really tricky um, but th this is where as a founder you have to go and find the people um, who know more than you and you have to elicit their cooperation somehow mm. uh, to, for their expertise um, there's loads that I don't know about loads and I, you know, I hold my hands up to that, but we go and find the people who do know. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. Because if I was to just guess at everything, I'd, you know, nine times out of 10, I'd be wrong. Uh, and it just costs money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's very important to understand that and, and, you know, see where your strengths lie, because this is how you can really build a great company and culture. And, and that sort of leads me on to the next question, which is in, in terms of that team right now, what does it look like inside of Employable? How many um, are you on the team? So we, um, I got a sales email the other day and the, the sales guy nicely told me that we've grown 325% in the last 12 months, uh, which was really nice of him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> you never, I might buy off him now, but, uh, we, we started up just Kieran and I, and then, um, we led a lot with the developers who are an outsourced development company because couldn't afford 250,000 pounds development team in-house because it's just crazy um and actually our developers are in the ukraine and they're brilliant they're absolutely brilliant um you know they're right at the tip of the sword when it comes to that so we then started looking at where we were weak and what we needed and and where we could get it from and to start off with we really did leverage the gig economy in mm -hmm. a big way and we went out and found freelancers who could work, you know, on, on a project basis. I'm a project manager, so, you know, it's very easy for me to run a project um, until the point where we needed it to come in-house. So pretty much every role we've had has been done by a freelancer up until the point where, you know, it become too much. So we've got, uh, with the developers, 17 now of us. Um, considering we really only launched in, in October, <laughs> that's not too bad. Um, but it does come with its own problems because, you know, if you're in the Marines, you know, you're, you're in charge of, of men and, and people and, you know, but in a completely different setting under, you know, huge amounts of pressure. But when you get into the civilian world and you're, and you're leading people, you know, it's completely different. Uh, you can deal with the pressure and the stresses, but, you know, the stress is different the pressure is different and, and, people's needs are a little bit different and it's, it's not so authoritarian, shall I say. So we've got um, a marketer, an in-house graphic designer, a project manager, uh, HR admin manager, a COO, a CEO, a HR director. Uh, who else we've got? Two account managers, a business development manager, an iOS developer, Android developer, two backend developers, a web developer, another project manager is yeah, mad. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah, yeah, mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we do is, and what's really, you know, for, for a startup when you've got, um, you know, huge assets, like we've got assets in people and they're brilliant. And, and one person we took on was a cybersecurity junior. So there uh, is a, a young kid, Finn, his name is, he's, he's bloody brilliant. Uh, loves cyber, everything to do with cyber. He came into our office um, end of last year, bold as brass and said, I want to work here. I want a job here. And I was so impressed by an 18 year old that I hired him. Um, since then he's on the first day, he hacked the app, uh, and then fixed the app, told us how to fix it. And, um, you know, he's been brilliant ever since. And what we do is because we're a startup and I've got huge networks of other startups is we can lend people to other startups. So if there is a piece of information or a, a, a piece of expertise that you're missing, collaborate because I know another startup that's just down the road from us. They were having trouble with cybersecurity. They needed something. They couldn't hire anyone. They didn't know what they were looking for. And I said, well, why don't you borrow our cybersecurity guy um, for a day a month? And that turned into a sale. And now he 
works on them you know so that helps us yeah. and i think there's a lot that, that i do so when it comes to technical side is not so much these days i'm so busy but definitely in the early stages i'd, I'd see someone who does something really well and i'd say well i can help you with this i can help you with wireframing or or workflows or or anything uh if you can help me with that and all of a sudden you're doing these like for like services between different uh you know founders and entrepreneurs and it creates a hell of a network so you know it's really important incredible um i think the you know the point that you've made just working with an external uh i guess agreement between freelancers is like it's such a scalable way and efficient way and almost a lean way of, of operating and i guess facilitating that framework for growth that's such a an important thing i think a lot of startups certainly some of the ones we've worked with have just gone all in straight away with their investment money and you're totally right uh halfway down the road you know they're going to end up paying double uh, to build half the product anyways uh, which well is... the problem is when you when you when you hire is um things get serious when you hire someone mm. um and you know the law covers employment can you know extensively and if you go out and you go right i need a marketer a salesperson or this or that and this and that and then you just pump out a load of job adverts you go get them you get them you hire them and then three weeks in you go oh my god this person isn't the right person mm. um i didn't i didn't really know what i wanted uh, you know it's very tricky to where do you go from there you know you've just hired someone they're very happy about being hired and now it's not right so do you retrain them do you you know what is it that you do in that scenario now if you utilize the gig economy and you work extensively with freelancers and we've all proved now that we can work remotely so it's mm -hmm. not a barrier um after you know two or three months of working with a freelancer then you know you need to bring it in house you already know what you need so you know you've been working for you know what you need and freelancers understand that they're not going to have a gig forever you know and actually if they any freelancer that is really good will understand their their position and their niche in the market and go well yeah if i can work with five or six different startups at a time that's me covered, you know, I'm not one job forever. So everything within a startup setting is about learning everything. And, and we learn every day from something new. And I think if you can leverage that learning, that makes you stronger later on, right? So when, when we took on our graphic designer, for instance, we'd done a lot of freelance graphic design and he came in and Sean and he was brilliant. And I was like, right, now is the time for us to take on our own graphic designer. Um, because of our brand evolution and all the things that we were doing. And now I know exactly what I need. I need someone who's got this skill, this skill, this skill. And I, and I know how much, you know, I can pay or how much I need to pay competitively. You know, it makes it fair for everybody. So, you know, that's the, the biggest key is, is, is test and adjust, right? Test, learn, and then, and then move forward. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, looking in, looking back then, so you guys, you said you launched, was it last year, November? Yeah, October. So I'm October, looking at the plaque sorry. now. We've got a plaque yeah, yeah. on our wall. Awesome. So yeah, we did, we did, um, we launched the app early as a soft launch. Um, mm -hmm. we, we partnered with Google really early on. And Google built our user acquisition strategy for us, uh, through, okay. uh, which is really good. So it's a machine algorithm that they built that, tracks what users do through the app and then targets more of those users. Uh, real lucky to get them on board. And, and they approached us actually while I was in Pret-a-Manger. Um, <laughs> I, I had a missed call and, um, and then I had a, a voicemail and it was like, hi, it's so-and-so from Google. Uh, could you give me a call? And I thought, oh my God, I owe Google money now. Um, 
and then I rang them and they said, look, we, we've heard about you and we want to partner with you. So, and then it sort of went from there. So we got 10,000 downloads in the first week. Wow. Um, wow. Couldn't handle it. So this is another thing. Now, it would have been for me and Kieran and, and the small team that we had at the time could have gone, yeah, let's just go and get 200,000 users. But we would have lost 190,000 users. And that would look really, really bad on us. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. We got 10,000 users in a week. That proved a lot of things. That proved demand. That proved, I mean, our conversion rate on the App Store was crazy. Mm -hmm. um, the, the average conversion rate on the App Store is like 2.9%. So when someone hits the App Store, 2.9% will download the app. We had like 67% conversion rate. Wow. Um, which was just, so we wow. turned it off. We turned yeah. everything <laughs> off. We turned Google off. And then all we did was we followed what those 10,000 users did in the app. We mm -hmm. lost a lot of them. Um, we got a lot of feedback. We took a little bit of a hit on, on some of the um, early uh, reviews in the app store, but obviously they don't really matter after time. And we just followed what they did and where they come a cropper and went, right, that needs changing. So we changed the whole onboarding process because of them. We changed the flow in the app. We uh, added different functions and we took away different functions. Um, yeah, because we, we you can always perceive what's important to you, but you know, as an app founder, you should never, ever, ever listen to yourself and what's important to you. You should always listen to the users. So to listen to the users, you've got to test. And there were functions that we had in that we thought were brilliant, but never got touched, never got looked at. So you're like, why are we going to now invest money into, you know, developing that when actually we need to kick it out because they're screaming for this. And then uh, come the end of last year, after about seven months of testing, we were like, yeah, I think we're ready. You know, yeah. I think we've done all the testing. Um, the drop-off rate had decreased a lot, and then, and then we we launched proper in October, um, covered by the news and all that, which was great. And then we had a party in our office, and um, <laughs> and then sort of from there, you know, I mean, it's very hard because you, we we launched in the end of October, twenty fifth of October, um, and then obviously. Now we're launched, we're going for the next round of investment, then COVID hit and, you know, mm. but um, we were the number one trending business app on Google Play Store in April, uh, yeah. beating Zoom, Microsoft, wow. beat a lot of them. That's um, incredible. That's, that's right. really cool. So what did you, um, you know, apart from, or were there any other activities or things that you pursued in terms of digital channels or even traditional channels for marketing, um, apart from, you know, that partnership that you had with with google i think we have tested everything um and we always do it on a micro macro level mm -hmm. so when it comes to digital marketing for instance we will run i mean we're running a couple right now um macro tests that turn into micro tests so we'll yeah. run it on 10 pound budget and then test the conversion rates then we'll run it on a hundred pound budget and then we'll run it on you know 500 pound budget and then we'll stop it there mm -hmm. and then I mean, we've got thousands of these tests log. So we know the messaging, the graphic design, we know the target market, we know the conversion rates. So a lot of founders I see will go into dual marketing and say, right, let's put a hundred thousand pound marketing budget up and because they've just got investment and they'll go and smash 20 grand and it will achieve nothing. And they'll go, right, okay, let's change this and they'll run another 20 grand and let's change this, let's run another 20 grand. And then there's two options there. They might hit something that works or they don't and they run out of money. Yeah. Um, what we do is we do everything on a macro level at 10 pound, then incrementally up. And then we analyze, 
you know, the conversion rates and, and not just the conversion rates, but what they do on the app. Mm-hmm. So these types of users do download it. They do subscribe. They do build a profile. They do apply for a job or they do look at this. Um, then we know that if I was to put 20 grand into that channel, I know, you know, give one or 2% either side that exactly the number that we're going to get and how they're going to act in the app. Yeah. And um, so we did that on digital. We've done it on social media, Google, but then we did it in print. So we've done lots of marketing. One of the things that really excited me um, towards just after our launch is we, Tui, uh, not Tui, Thomas Cook went under and they had paid like £90,000 for a Sky Sports package, um, advertising package. And I got a phone call from the company saying, look, Thomas Cook have gone under where they've paid us a deposit, but all the space is now free and we're going to lose cash. Do you want their package for 10 grand? Yeah. And for, oh my for God. A, yes, yeah. <laughs> and for, for a startup to be able to test TV is just like, it, it doesn't work. And so we said, yeah, went down, met them and they were great. And we had 10 live Sky Sports games, um, which was brilliant. And we tested it and we used that to do remarketing. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we was running out against the game, we would then target all our advertising to people who are watching the game. Yeah. So they would see us on the TV seven times within a match, 10 times within a match. And then they would go to talk about the match on social media and then they would see us again. And then we were tracking, you know, of the people that went to that game because we, we knew who went to the game through, you know, certain things like Google with um, like uh, location data and whatnot. Absolutely. But then we also knew who was watching the game. And it is a, uh, it was very, very exciting. It gave us some really good stuff. Um, we've done radio, we've done magazines, we've done all sorts. And it marketing has it's become really apparent to me because I'm not a marketing specialist and never have been. Um, but it became really apparent to me just how broad marketing is. Mm. It's giant and it's an absolute minefield. And you could run, you could say, test a graphic you build a graphic and you could test it on a market there are about thousand different ways in which you can test that one graphic so you have to you have to have the knowledge of of who's gonna be excited by that graphic or who's gonna you know take action and it it's okay to fail it's okay to do it and it fail as long as you don't do it again yeah because that that's learning right so the the marketing thing for me and hand in hand with the branding is it's really intriguing, but it's also really scary. And it's a very, 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 very quick way to lose a lot of money if, yeah. you, if, you, don't, if you don't know what you're doing and if you're doing it wrong. So um, I guess that's where you guys and, and yeah, having, well, even Apple do it, don't they? You know, Apple's PR and advertising agency, they don't really do it in-house and never used to, you know, and a lot of the bigger companies don't because they understand that actually, um, if you partner with a company that knows what they're doing, it can save you lots of money and um, get you maximum return on investment. Because that's the point, right? Is a return on investment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, working with specialists and people who you know run within that specific industry, um, run advertising and marketing, you know, on a regular basis, the, it's it's super valuable. Um, and of course, you know, we run digital marketing um, for a bunch of our clients, and I think that yeah having that combination of internal stakeholders and external teams um 
it's just it can be so effective if done right there has to be a good fit um and i think you know there's a variety of factors that the or i guess are the ingredients you need for success and a successful collaboration um but i think your insight into that is is really good thank you for for sharing that i think you know it's incredible that you guys were firstly offered like a, a tv deal with sky for such a, a reasonable cost um that's yeah that's pretty much unheard of because we've had uh conversations with sky tv before and yeah some of the quotes that they they come out with are certainly not that cost effective yeah. especially yeah. for startups right um so that's yeah that's incredible i mean having that as an opportunity but then also you know really what's interesting is is this macro micro approach that you guys have to, to testing out i guess digital marketing channels and also traditional channels um that's really important is being able to test quickly um understand if something's failing being okay with that but making sure that you apply the learnings moving forward and that's um i think that's just such a great takeaway and such a good piece of advice because if you can be comfortable within failing and understanding that you know not everything has to work 100 of the time uh, but you improve every single time that you do try um, then that i think is really one of the the building blocks for success especially nowadays where everything is so saturated you know you need to test stuff and you need to fail to find out what works um, so incredible insight thanks for sharing it um, one thing i would ask then so what's on the the roadmap for you guys moving forward. Um, where are you going next? And you know, I, I understand that COVID um, has hit you guys, especially in terms of investment. So, so what's next for for Employable? So we recently undertook a bit of a pivot. Really, mm. um, I'm. I don't want to be the richest man in the cemetery, right? I've always said that. Uh, I'm not interested and. In, Cash, as long as I can live, doesn't really float my boat. Um, I want to be the guy who sparks positive change in an industry right? and inspires other people to do the same and inspires people to just, you know, realize their potential and then believe that they can they can achieve it. And, mm. you know, how, how much of a better world would we live in then? Um, so one of the things that I really wanted to do was looking at small businesses, right? putting aside COVID at the minute because it's thrown a massive spanner in the works, I always saw an issue with micro and small businesses who were scared to grow because of the risk of recruitment, right? Mm -hmm. um, as soon as you start recruiting and hiring people, your risks go through the roof. So if you've got a, a micro business who has potential to be, you know, a, a big employer, you know, 20, 30, 40 people, mm -hmm. um, but they'll never realize that potential because the risks and the barriers right the minute you take on your first staff you know all of a sudden it becomes legal and it costs lots of money and then if something like covid happens you know heaven forbid you know you're doing things you don't want to do so i thought to myself what's out there for the smaller micro businesses because the more smaller micro businesses 99 percent of uk businesses are small businesses mm -hmm. they make up probably a hundred percent of the supply chain of the big businesses um they hire the most people in the uk up to 50 staff um, if they're creating jobs, they're creating opportunities, right? And if they have access to knowledge and information that they can change and grow and innovate, then they're creating brand new jobs. So yeah. careers that never existed before. And that really excites me. So I looked at it and said, well, 
your big jobs board companies, you know, LinkedIn and, and Reed and people like that, they charge small businesses £170 to go on and post a job and that's it. They don't teach them anything else. So for the small business already, I'm thinking, right, I've got to spend £170. I don't know how to write a job post. I don't know how to interview. I don't know how to do all these things. I tell you what, I'm just happy earning 40 grand a year working on my own. Not right, not good. So we decided that we would be free to post jobs forever for any size business. Wow. Um, so, and that's to help small businesses grow, yeah. which will grow the local economy which will increase jobs, competitiveness, and, uh, and help small businesses to realize their potential. When Boom. you've got lots of small businesses that are all competitive, it means it drives the prices down. Yeah. So if you, if you find that you've got one business monopolizing the whole industry, they can just put whatever price they want on it. Um, when you have lots of businesses doing it the same, like you see with the supermarkets, you know, Tesco's versus Audi, for instance, you know, Tesco's are putting Audi prices out now to try and, win the consumer um and i think that what i want to do is kind of give that a kick as well you know yeah. and so we've just pivoted so it's completely free to post on employable wow. um and then what we want to do is there are things that we do through data we will never ever advertise and sell people's data for advertising so i'm completely against that i hate it um, but what we will do is use aggregate data for intelligence that we can go to the government and say, this is the problem you've got in this area. This is the median skill set. This is the average qualification. We can tell, we can tell the government probably five years before a skill shortage. And we can tell the government exactly what schools are performing well and are not, but not at the time yeah. but in five years, 10 years. And that's where we'll make our money is through um, intelligence and we've moved more as well which you'll probably like into uh, employer branding so a lot of small and micro businesses to have access to employer branding not consumer branding mm -hmm. um, you know can be very expensive i mean for something on linkedin i think it's like 55 grand a year for wow. their yeah. package um so we looked at that and went yeah we can do that because if you've got a business um, a small business who doesn't have all the expertise around them, they might not be able to differentiate between their employer branding and their consumer branding. Yeah. And if you look at some of the bigger companies, like we work with BP, for instance, and when you think of BP, you think oil, petrol, um, and you think oil rig in the Scottish Sea, right, in the North Sea. And you think, well, if I'm a 19-year-old woman, for instance, I don't want to go and work on an oil rig, you know, but actually that's their consumer branding that you're seeing there, their employer branding is completely different because they do want you and they want people from all types of backgrounds with lots of different skills that makes the machine run. So we want to help small businesses by doing it. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think what the figure is. It's probably around for the max package, like four grand a year. Okay. So we'll do what LinkedIn do, but for, Fifty-one thousand pound a year less. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that helps small businesses to grow their employer brand inside, which means they can attract more talent. They can mm -hmm. attract talent the same way as the bigger companies do, um, you know, and showcase that their business is, is growing and is a great business to be. So as we move forward, um, we'll continue to always be completely user centric and user driven. We will always do everything we can to make sure the user has got what they need. But then, you know, running in parallel with that is how do we boost small business to 
to be competitive with the big boys and, and, and grow. And so we'll go into our final investment round before uh, profit by the end of the year, sort of October time. So we're already talking to some of those that stepped away, have come back now, funny enough, mm-hmm. um, which makes me very confident and happy. Um, and then we will probably, hopefully by March next year, be um, net revenue positive. And then moving on from there, uh, looking at the US, um, Spain, France, New Zealand, Australia, global, globalization. Yeah. I mean, one word, just incredible, right? Um, it, that's such an amazing scope. Um, and I think that you guys are doing some incredible things. Um, it sounds so, so exciting. So yeah, amazing job with that. I think, um, you know, before we move to wrap up the the episode, looking back over, you know, let's say before you guys launched in November, back to when you you really started, you know, getting everything up and off the ground, taking it from a napkin, turning it to a real idea. What a, and I know in this talk, you've dropped some absolute nuggets of information, but, you know, is there anything specifically that you could leave the audience with, you know, in terms of advice or definitely watch out for this or anything like that yeah firstly i think we live in an age where there is absolutely nothing you can't learn and uh, you don't have, you're never going to be an expert in anything everything all right but you can always learn just enough that you can go and find the expert and know what you're doing um so firstly you know if there's something a challenge that's come towards you don't flap don't get you know flustered just go and do some research um and then find someone and i think the next What's really helped us is um, collaboration. Mm-hmm. There is six degrees of separation. You know, there is always someone that you know that someone that knows someone that you want to know. You know, and um, just by looking at your network and understanding, you know, favor for favor, I owe so many favors. Um, it's unbelievable, and they're going to start cashing them in soon. And I can't <laughs> wait. Um, I think that. Firstly, it's like the, t- the Tony Robbins thing. It's potential and belief. The more belief you have, the more potential you have, the more you realize your potential. And I think that there is absolutely no one on this earth that couldn't achieve what I've achieved. Um, and I'm not even done yet. You know, I'm not even halfway. But I, I, I don't like it um, when people think, well, I, c- I can never do that. Um, you can. You 100% can. And I think it's about the people you surround yourself with. And it's really important. Um, navigating the, the the sort of tech space if you're in the tech space you know one thing I'd say is I've seen startups that have had a hundred percent of their budget and a hundred percent of the money in their bank and they're a tech driven company and they assign 20 percent of their budget to tech and 80 percent goes on to say marketing or branding and then what they do is they find that 75 percent that 80 percent they spent was a complete waste of time mm-hmm. um, if you're a tech driven company, you have to invest in the tech. And then once the tech is right and you find product market fit, then you can readjust your budgets to go and showcase what you've made. Uh, it can be highly dangerous trying to um, showcase something that isn't quite right. It will never be right. And I think that's one of the biggest things is when you're in tech, you will never have an app that's bug free. You, you know, you'll, you'll never ever have it perfect. Um, and I think if you're a perfectionist in tech, you're on your way to failing um, because people can forgive, you know, bugs. Facebook has bugs. Twitter has bugs. Yeah. Instagram has bugs. Uh, that's exactly what it is. 
But if your core product fits the market and serves that market, people won't worry about a little bug here and there. Um, you know, so it's about focus and efforts. And another thing is you can do three or four things really, really well, or you can do 20 things really crap. Mm. And if you've got a founder who doesn't like relinquishing control or doesn't like the idea of giving away you know equity in the company for investment or to garner the 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 help of experts so like we have a pool of uh shares available so when we go for our next uh round of hiring you know we'll be looking at a, a very good marketing director i'd imagine yeah, and so they will be able to unlock shares if you've got a founder who is you know adverse to to that and to, takes on all the work themselves and they're only going one way really yeah. um you know, because you can have a hundred percent of nothing, or you can have ten percent of something, and uh, right. I know what I'd rather have. So that's it, really. You know, and from my perspective, is just have the belief and and you know just get help. You know, and you can get help from anywhere. So a huge thank you to Employable for speaking to us. You can find them online at employable.me. To download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store, search Employable. That's I-M-P-L-O-Y-A-B-L-E. You're listening to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal by Blue Drop Studio, a digital marketing and creative content agency based in London, UK. We're on a mission to grow the tech brands of tomorrow with creative content and social media advertising. Check us out on LinkedIn and bluedropstudio.com or hit us up on social at HeyBlueDrop on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Your hosts are at Anna Rowinska and at Omar K. Juman. If you want to talk about digital marketing for your brand, drop us a line at hello at bluedropstudio.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.